Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hello and welcome back to the Earth 2 podcast, the show that navigates the pre-crisis DC Comics multiverse and explores the legacy of their Golden Age characters through the Silver and Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Steve Higgins. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Peter Watson's voice is still missing, like Glenn Miller or episode 12 of the Daleks Master Plan. So Steve has been kind enough to join in and help us again. I won't go into a huge explanation on that because you've met Steve already. Steve's been on the show many times now. Hello. But you will, in a couple of weeks when we get to one issue of one title, you will get the full in-depth sort of explanation as to, to why and wherefore, etc. Steve been here, but you know... You've got that to look forward to. This week, we're returning to the pages of Brave and the Bold for the first time in a very long time. We are doing a story from issue 110, which was published on the 4th of September, 1973. So I've been alive for about six months at this point, which is interesting and worth celebrating. And not only that, we're also nine days away from the first birthday of Matt Everett, the drummer in menswear. So that's a lot of fun. (laughs) Steve's now going to tell us all about the cover to Brave and the Bold issue 110. Yes, I will. It is a very dark cover up in the upper left-hand corner. We have DC little bullet circle there uh, with the brave and the bold and yellow and red leading across the top of the page to over on the right side of the... Steve is miming the brave and the bold banner there, listeners, <laughs> for the benefit of our YouTube Yes, indeed. You're able to see that. <laughs> <laughs> over on the uh, upper right, we have 20 cents, number 110, January. And brave and the bold presents Batman and Wildcat. In the foreground, we have Batman kind of turned towards the camera. He's lying prone on the ground, um, but he looks like he's trying to kind of get up from that prone position. And he's turned towards us and behind him, shining its headlights on him as it's barreling down upon him, is a looks like looks like it could be an Aston Martin. It's a uh, convertible car barreling down on him. And the passenger of that car is sticking up over the windscreen and has a machine gun that is aiming at the Batman to to kill him and wearing this kind of very 70s blazer, this very fierce look on his face. But what that passenger does not know, but what the driver of the car does see, is that above them, somehow swooping down out of the sky on a motorcycle, yeah, his wildcat-themed motorcycle, in fact, Wildcat is on his motorcycle and it's going to collide with the with the car to stop it in time from barreling down over the over the Cape Crusader. And uh, in the background of all of that in the sky is a huge, beautiful full moon. And I get to say for the first time in the Earth 2 podcast, (laughs) take a drink, everyone. Take a drink. Yes, I've taken a drink. Lovely. It's, it's a great cover. It's very dynamic. I've got about six or seven foreign reprints of this one, sort of, that I've all been sitting on my phone for various points of time. And in my head, it's become the one with the motorbike. What interests me is the detailing is that Batman appears to be sort of, he appears to be lying on a sort of cobbled street. Yeah. We'll have to watch out for that particular detail. In fact, we'll have to watch out indeed to see if this particular scene happens in the story. <laughs> yeah. I have to say, I'm envious of this motorcycle. <laughs> I wish that I had a motorcycle that had my face on the front of it and could ride it around everywhere. Wow. <laughs> Although I don't actually ride a motorcycle <laughs> and I, I, I don't know how and I never would because they're dangerous. Um, uh, not a fan. 
But, you know, if I did have a motorcycle, it would be one that had my face attached to the front. Interesting. Anyway. Yes, with um, and the, and the registration plate of that motorcycle would be VB9, obviously. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and then rounding out the whole cover, over on the left side, we see, uh, in quotation marks, the title of the story, A Very Special Spy. A Very Special Spy could almost be, you know, you can imagine it being the sort of straight-to-Netflix drama starring a former member of the, the the Avengers cast and Samara Weaving or something. You can imagine <laughs> that, couldn't you? I was thinking that it might be like a a, a low-budget Bond takeoff. Yes. Like, a very special spy. That would work. He's singing again, <laughs> listeners. Right. Now that, the, now that the cover's out of the way, we can jump into the story. There's a heck of a lot happening on the opening splash panel. Let's kick off with the scene-setting caption at the top. A dry lake bed somewhere out west, hard and flat as a billiard table. But it isn't a TV commercial in the making. This tense collection of government observers, newsmen, and others are watching on the lone and level salt. Yeah, a tiny caption tells us the stories written by Bob Haney with art by Jim Aparo. Now, there's plenty going on. We see, as Steve says, a tense collection of government observers, newsmen, and others. At the head of this crowd, we can see Batman. Next to him, there's another man with greying hair wearing a striped shirt and a loud orange tie. There's a structure with a banner over the top of it that reads, Miracle 2000 Test. And we see two cars starting to roar forward from this structure, almost like there's two gates that are emerging from. Someone has fired a starting pistol. There's a kapow. A voice yells, they're off! The cars start to roar, but a man has run forward and seems to be falling in front of the cars. The man in the striped shirt with the orange tie, who we will learn shortly is Ted Grant, yells, Oh my God! That guy's hurling himself in the car's path! He'll be killed! Batman moves forward as a caption reads, Now, brave and the bold ones, witness the dawn of an era, as Batman and his old comrade, Wildcat, plunge into the shadow world of a new style of crime. On the track of a, a very, very special, special spy. spy. Awesome. As we arrive at the top of page two, underneath panel one, there is a caption which reads, Part, Part one, one, The, the Gloves, Gloves of, of Gold. And the captioning for the first two panels reads, The rumpled figure lies prone, a candidate for certain death, except for one man who moves almost faster than humanly possible. Yes, the first panel we see the man who fell forward on the splash page lying seemingly unconscious in front of one of the cars. There's a screech of brakes, a huh? question mark speech bubble from the, the driver of this car. And in panel two, Batman manages to lunge forward in time to pull the man out of the way of the speeding red vehicle. Panel three, Batman pulls the man up. The man seems to have recovered consciousness, or maybe he wasn't unconscious, but Batman, holding the guy's jacket, says, What's with the suicide bit, mister? It wasn't a suicide attempt. Only a personal protest against the test. Gets to his feet. Panel four. The crowd has moved over. We can see Ted Grant. Whole bunch of other people, cameramen, other drivers and stuff. The guy's holding what looks like a letter. Folded up piece of paper in his hand as he says, I'm Peter Voss. And I accuse your company, Mr. Ted Grant, the Triton Corporation, of stealing the formula for the miracle fuel edited discovered years ago in Holland by my dead father, Hans Voss. One of the cameramen there, with a big, chunky video camera, TV camera on his shoulder, exclaims, Woo-wee! This is a story we didn't figure on! Ted Grant's taken the letter that Peter Voss was carrying, and says, You must be kidding, fella! And Voss, looking very much like Denny Lane of Wings and the Moody Blues, says, This subpoena is no joke! Tridon shall never profit from my father's discovery! 
I shall see you and your fellow corporate thieves in court, Mr. Grant. And with that, he walks off. A big chunky caption on the final panel of page two reads, Ted Grant? Familiar brave and bold ones? Of course. He's the former heavyweight champion, alias Wildcat, Batman's sidekick in other brave and bold sagas. Yes, this is indeed Wildcat's third appearance as a brave and bold co-star. He hasn't been seen for a while. The last time he appeared was in issue 97 which was published about two years ago as The Crow Flies. Quite a long time. He's obviously appeared in the pages of Justice League since then. He took a big part in the crossover with the rescue of the Seven Soldiers. We will, of course, refer you to a recent omnibus if you haven't heard that episode. That's probably quite unlikely at this point. But yes, so the last time we saw Wildcat, he had been suffering from some amnesia, and there was a big run around in the desert and all that sort of stuff, and a big underwater cat statue. And we'd pretty much decided that at this point, this was a Wildcat of Earth 1, because it was really established that it was the contemporary Bruce Wayne, so... We're assuming at this point this is what's going on here. So with that lengthy caption out of the way, we should take a, a moment to see how gorgeous the colouring for the sky is in these opening panels. It's really, 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 really lovely. Ted Grant holds the, the summons up to his face thoughtfully and says, I'm calling off the test. Batman, you know everything. Who was Hans Voss? A Dutch petroleum scientist before World War II. The story was he did discover an additive formula for getting more energy from oil. In the first panel of page three, Batman and Ted Grant start walking towards a large aeroplane, which we can see is a very stylized T logo at the back of it. Batman is saying, Voss was killed in a bomb raid, and the formula was lost, if it ever really did exist. I see. Something similar to our own additive, Miracle 2000. Come on, we're flying back to company headquarters. Caption name for panel two. Moments later, as the sleek jet is airborne, we can see Batman sat down, made himself comfortable. And Ted is using a punching bag, which very helpfully his employers have installed in the aeroplane. And as he's punching away, he's saying, When I asked you out here to witness the test, I never expected this. Got to work off my frustration with some bag drill. Panel three, we can see a great Ted Grant, world's heavyweight champion poster. It's also in the background, so Ted must have his own gym set up going on. This is great. As he bap baps away, Batman says, Some setup. How come the ex-champ is now an oil executive? I don't know a pipeline from an uppercut, but when I retired from the ring, I was broke. Trident offered me a public relations vice presidency, which means I fly around creating goodwill for the company. I get paid well, I meet lots of my old fans. Nice aerial shot of the airplane for the final panel of page three. And how does Wildcat fit into the new Ted Grant lifestyle? Wildcat? That corny superhero identity doesn't go with today's executive image, Batman. I operate smooth and clever, and strictly out front. We arrive at the top of page four. You can see the airplane tipping as it flies over the Triton headquarters. We can see lots of pipelines and structures and containers and stuff. It looks pretty cool. From inside the airplane, we hear Batman saying, Maybe this Voss thing is a problem Wildcat could sink a claw into. No way, Batman. We're here. Now I got a report to the top man. A slow dissolve caption for panel two. Soon, the office of B.B. Sanford, president of Triton. So Sanford is an, an overweight-looking middle-aged man, a sort of pink tie with spots on it. Sat behind his big desk, we can see plants and stuff around his office. He's smoking either an expensive cigarette or expensive cigar. Batman and Ted Grant standing in front of him, and Sanford is saying, This lawsuit's ridiculous. Come on, champ, Batman. I'll introduce you to the man who really discovered Miracle 2000. We see Sanford gesturing towards a meek-looking fellow, scientist in a lab coat with short red hair, wearing glasses. Sanford introduces him. This is Bill Bradshaw, who came up with the additive right here in this lab. Bradshaw says, 
course I'd heard of old Hans Voss's work. Who hasn't? But he never published or patented his experiment. I came up with Miracle 2000 of my own. It'll help solve the world energy crisis until the year 2000, when atomic fuel will run everything. Cars will go further, houses stay warmer, factories work harder, using less oil. And Sanford, at this point, stretches his arms wide, looking very proud and maiming for the benefit of our YouTube viewers, as he says, Yes, sirree, it's a miracle, all right, which will make Triton the world's richest corporation, because it's rightfully ours. Oh, gosh, we don't like him, do we, listeners? Caption then, for the final panel of page four. Later, in Ted Grant's office... Yes, very very plush. Ted sat behind his big shiny desk. Batman's standing in front of him. Ted is saying, Well, Batman, now we know everything's okay. Do we, Ted? How come Bradshaw's lab equipment's not set up for hydrocarbon research or any other kind of serious chemistry? Turning the page, passing a subscription advert and an advertisement for issue one of Prez. We arrive at the top of page five. Ted replies to Batman saying, Huh? What are you... I'm saying something's slightly rotten in Triton's miracle. Add that to Peter Voss's desperate act, and you got a case Batman better look into. Check you later, Mr. Vice Prez. A slow dissolve caption for panel two. Not long after, the shabby office lab of Voss Research Company. Batman is going to visit Peter Voss. We can see a calendar on the wall. Gas, jars, test tubes, stand for a Bunsen burner. There's a weird statue of a human figure in the foreground. Probably won't be room to put it in the socials, but if you've got a copy of B and B110... Make sure you give it your attention. It's fascinating. I would like 500 words on your response to the statue by the end of the week. Batman is saying, Okay, Peter Voss. How could Triton steal a formula from you that was lost over 30 years ago, if it ever existed? It did exist. Before he was killed, my father told me he'd found the formula. Even then, he feared it might be stolen, so he secreted it in code until a patent was granted. But the patent office and his application were also destroyed in the same bomb raid. He gestures to a filing cabinet in the next panel, saying, I savaged his personal records and came here to America. For years I have tried to decipher the formula from the records, but failed. But L.K. Dowling did not fail. Who in blazes is L.K. Dowling? In the next panel, Voss produces a photograph of a man with dark hair and a very neat moustache, which he holds up to a very curious-looking Batman. Mm. Brilliant work from Jim Apparel. <laughs> Voss continues, Him, a brilliant chemist who came to work for me a year ago. He worked for a low salary, saying science was more important than money. One night, I caught Darling going through my father's records. He said it was because he so much admired my father's work. He quit soon after. Two months later, Triton announced the discovery of Miracle 2000. That final shot, final panel of page five, is a nice shot of the Voss Research building with Peter's dialogue coming out of a window, and we should take a drink because there's a full moon looming over said building. <laughs> First panel of page six, the conversation continues. Batman is eyeing up the weird statue. As Peter is saying, I'm sure somehow Dowling deciphered the code and stole the formula. Now all I have left of my father are his records and that worthless piece of art. Sculpture was his hobby. Now, is this Chekhov's sculpture? Listeners, what do you think? <laughs> Batman looks at the statue disdainfully. He's obviously not into it. He's obviously a traditionalist. And Batman says, Far out story, Voss. Can you prove it? And a very indignant looking Voss says in the next panel, I must. My father meant the formula to be free for all mankind. Tried will use it to make huge profits. I must stop them. And with that, Batman takes his leave, exiting through the door without a word, but thinking, Maybe I'm barking up the wrong pipeline. But I think Voss's cause is a worthy one. For Batman. Then we got a nice big caption. Now the famed masked manhunter begins a probe into the past. Not of a man, but a corporation. This is a cracking montage. 
over a sort of nice big swooping shot of Batman in the middle walking towards the New York Stock Exchange, there's another panel where you can see him inside a room that's identified as being police files. We can see him going through some folders. There's a shot of some money being handed to someone. It's got a man using hammers to vandalise a pipeline. There's someone walking towards a car that's labelled Triton Court being shot and a very dynamic shot of Batman with a, some kind of light behind him. This montage is going to make it onto the social listeners, don't worry. Aparo absolutely excelling here. Dramatic shot of Batman at the bottom right-hand corner, thinking... Only one piece missing in the jigsaw. A piece named L.K. Dowling. A slow dissolve takes us to the top of page 7. Caption for the first panel there reads... A very special office in Washington, D.C. Yes, we don't see the man at first that Batman is talking to. Batman is there. The man behind the desk who's smoking a pipe is holding the photograph of the man with the moustache who Voss told us was L.K. Dowling. And the man behind the desk is saying, Sure I know him, Batman. Only his name's Radek, not Dowling. And he's the country's best industrial spy. He's the hired gun one corporation calls in to steal a secret from another company. He's a brilliant operator who's done dozens of jobs under different aliases. Three arrests, but no convictions. He's pretty slick. Here's our file on him. And what's an interesting thing Aparo's doing here is basically the equivalent of what we got a couple of pages ago when it's the, the external shot of the Triton building. Here we get an external shot of a door that reads Bureau of Industrial Espionage. That's obviously where Batman is. He's talking to someone from this bureau. Batman is going through the file on panel three, saying, Hmm, a very heavy guy. And the man from the bureau replies, A unique modern-day criminal. Even honest companies sometimes hired to win in today's killing competition. Hope you get him. Another slow dissolve and another caption. That next night, a familiar figure moves across a certain roof. Yes, the familiar figure is Batman. The certain roof belongs to the Triton Corporation. There's a massive big glowing sign telling us where we are. And as Batman stealthily creeps along his cape, blowing behind him, sterling work from Jim Aparo, Bats is thinking, Now to try to connect Dowling, alias Radic, with Triton. Another slow dissolve, another caption. Shortly, in a dim office in the deserted building... Yes, we can see a, a sign on the door that reads Personnel Files Strictly Forbidden, I'm guessing. Batman has a torch and he's got a drawer open and he's going through a cardboard file. He's thinking... A special file marked Operation Miracle and an ID photo of Radic. This is it. I've hit paydirt. Batman is so engrossed that he doesn't see the shadow of a couple of cap-wearing figures behind him. The shadow of one of the men raising a hand that appears to be some form of cudgel. This is not looking good. A caption runs out this page saying, But something else is about to hit Batman in part two, because part one ends here. Over the page, top of page eight, captioning reads, Part two, Requiem for a Wildcat. Awesome. The action starts immediately. There's a quack sound effect as one of the guards strikes Batman across the back of the head. Batman drops his torch, drops his file, but manages in panel two to fight back, elbowing his attacker in the chest. He starts to struggle with the other guard in panel three. The guy that he knocked out manages to pick up his pistol. And in panel four, he points his gun at Batman and his struggling colleague and says, Hold him! I'll drill him! Caption for panel five. Suddenly, without walk, a fist appears out of nowhere and punches out the guard with a gun. The guard goes, Ugh! and drops his gun. Batman looks round, sees his rescuer and cries, Ted. Yes, and we see that Ted Grant has arrived on the scene. Batman manages to stay focused enough to punch out the other guard, which is terrific. And Ted says, come on, let's get out of here. And the caption for the first panel on page nine reads, Shortly in Ted Grant's office. Yep, the champ is saying, I was working late, heard the noise. I don't think those two security goons got a good look at me in the dim light. But they recognized me, 
And they know somebody's interested in the personnel file. Yeah, just what were you doing? Let me fill you in, says the Cape Crusader. And another slow dissolve and another caption. A few minutes later, Ted is saying, I, I can hardly believe it. A murder, stock swindles, fraud, all were by Sanford and the other tried on top brass to take over the company? None of it could be proved in court, but still true, Ted. Plus, of course, hiring Radick to steal old Hans Voss's formula. Ted punches down on his desk angrily in panel four, saying, What a sap I've been. Yeah, I agree, to be honest, Wildcat. <laughs> no wonder they wanted me fronting for them. Now I'm tarred with the same brush. Not really. A lot of it happened before you joined Triton. Ted looks down at a nice golden sort of, not quite a statue, but it's obviously some kind of award he's won in the past of some golden boxing gloves. Rubs his fists together, saying, No, Batman. In the ring, I took responsibility for low blows and not fighting my best. I never griped or alibied, and I'm not starting now. I always tried to be a champ, but I guess you were right. It'll take more than an executive image to KO this setup. And with that, Ted crosses to the wall. Almost looks like he turns a key with a click. The door opens, and we see a familiar costume hanging on the rack inside as Ted finishes. So, Wildcat rides again. And Batman exclaims, Ride on. Superb. Batman is with it. <laughs> Turn the page. Full page advertisement for superhero stick-ons. Stick your favourites up against the wall. Yes, drive your mother nuts. Or stick them on a door or notebook or lunchbox. Yeah, put them on your dad's car. That's brilliant. <laughs> All 14 for only $2.50. Gosh, anyway, that's gorgeous. Very familiar images of everyone, actually. They remind me of a kind of drawing game that I had when I was a kid when you would just put sort of like things into a grid and draw certain lines and turn it and draw the certain lines you end up with full images. That's gorgeous. Very, very nostalgic. So we arrive at the top of page 10. The caption for the first panel reads Soon. A full moon looms in the background. We see Batman and Wildcat. They've obviously either climbed up the top of the building or climbed down a couple of ropes but they're obviously looking down through a window or a skylight or something because Wildcat is saying Look! Those two security guards talking to Sanford. Now he knows somebody's onto things. Who's the other guy? In panel two, we see what Wildcat and Batman can see. They're looking through the window. We can see the guards. We can see Sanford. And they're talking to another man, quite well built in a brown overcoat. Helpfully, Wildcat identifies him by saying, Manfredi, head of security for the plant. A tough cookie. To which Batman says, You bet he is. I recognize him now. A top underworld enforcer. Something's up. A slow dissolve. Caption for the next panel. Half an hour later, a powerful limousine leaves the company gates. From another part of the vast area, another vehicle starts up. Yes, we see Wildcat roaring into action on his Wildcat motorbike. As seen on the cover, there's a full moon in the background as he roars and leaps over the fence. Fantastic. As he pulls off this outstanding manoeuvre, he's thinking, Sanford and Manfredi leaving. Lucky I had old cycle stashed here. Hour after hour, the lone cyclist shadows the big car. Appear to be on a cliff road. You can see the cliff edge or the rocks to the left. A wildcat as he roars along, thinking, heading east. Where are they going? You can see the car in the distance. Captioning for the final panel, page 10 reads, Until near dawn. Beautiful work from Jim Apparel here. The colouring, this panel is gorgeous. It might be the best picture of wildcat I've ever seen. We can see him looking up at a big house in the distance as he thinks, the company hunting lodge. And in the first panel of page 11, he's made his way up to the building. He's having a nose around. He can see what's going on inside as he thinks, Who are they talking to? It's Radek, the industrial spy Batman clued me about. In panel two, we see Sanford and Manfredi, better look at Manfredi here, big burly chap as I say in his brown overcoat, and his suit's kind of been coloured 
partly in orange and partly in green. So, wow, is it Harvey Dent? Who can say? <laughs> Radek seems to be on his knees in front of him. He's got slight back dark hair, a neat moustache. Manfredi is pointing a gun at him. And Wildcat, looking through the window, is thinking, My God, they're going to kill him. Of course, they know Batman's under them. He's too hot to stay alive. He could talk if caught. The next instant, like the animal he is named for, Wildcat springs. Outstanding work here as Wildcat bursts through the window, sending glass flying everywhere as he yells, Radek, run! Sanford whirls around and says, Shoot, Manfredi, shoot! And there's a kapow in panel four as indeed Manfredi fires on Wildcat. We see in the background Radek legging it through an open door. Wildcat's down on the deck in the next panel. We can see the smoking gun, but Sanford points and says, You can finish him later! Get Radek! He's going for the car! In the final panel of page 11, we see Radek attempting to roar off in his car. Sanford and Manfredi have come out after. There's a couple of kapows as Manfredi fires on the gun. Sanford cries, Get him! We pass some brilliant adverts, including one for a vampire bat and a monster ghost and something for Walt Disney's Pirates of the Caribbean, Pirates Strike Again. Is that model kits? Yeah. Full page advert for a tabloid edition of House of Mystery. And we arrive at the top of page 12 for a caption that reads... But even a wounded wildcat can still scramble and be more dangerous. Yeah, Ted somehow has managed to get out of the building and leaps for the car. There are various kapow and zings and pyows going on as Manfredi continues to fire. Ted leaps for the roof of the car shouting, Drive! Drive! Get us clear, we're both dead! In panel two we see Wildcat hang to the roof of the car as it speeds off, but following a pyow, that looks as though there's a hole in the windscreen. Radex slumps forward. Oh. And the caption for panel three. The next instant... The car swerves off the road and collides with a tree, throwing Wildcat clear. Wildcat thinks to himself, he's dead. And then there's a pion sound effect, and Wildcat cries, Yeah! I'm hit again! And the caption for panel four reads, Now as the ex-world champ dodges into the brush. Wildcat's sloping off, but we can see that Sanford and Manfredi are following him. Ted's thinking, gotta get clear. Oh, never thought two slugs could be so heavy. In the next panel, Sanford and Manfredi have arrived at the, the car and poor Radek's body is lying hanging half out of the vehicle. Sanford points off in the direction Wildcat went, saying, He'll die like a shot deer in the brush and never be found. Forget him. We got what we came for. One spy, dead in a hunting accident. <laughs> On a slow dissolve for the final panel of page 12. Through a haze of pain and gathering darkness, Wildcat hears the car roar away. And we see Wildcat lying on the grass, obviously in great pain, thinking, I can't move. Passing out. Batman. I goofed it. A slow dissolve. We arrive at the top of page 13. A caption reads, The Batman? Just where is he? Thousands of miles away by jetliner. A city in Holland. Yes. see Batman standing with some very rural-looking architecture behind him, but in front of him. There's a building which is lying in ruins. We can see the remains of a sign that clearly says Voss. And a Cape Crusader is thinking, Hans Voss's old lab. Still a ruin. Something drew me here. Could there be a clue to it all in this rubble? Capture for panel two reads. But as he skillfully sifts the 30-year-old debris. Yeah, we see Batman going through the ruins. He thinks, Nothing. But then he looks to his right and sees, There's a figure, looks like someone standing watching him. Batman's thoughts continue. That old man, staring at the ruin, doesn't even seem to notice my presence. That's odd. On a hunch, the masked manhunter follows the pathetic figure down narrow, crooked streets. 
gorgeous stuff by Jim Aparo here. Yes, we see Batman observing from a distance the older man going through the doorway of a building. Cape Crusader thinks, He's entering that hospital home? A slow dissolve, the caption for the next panel. Soon? Yes, and we see that the older man that Batman has followed is sat in a chair looking out of a window. And Batman is standing with a, obviously some kind of doctor or nurse figure. An older man with slicked back white hair, neat glasses, a neat moustache holding a clipboard. This figure is saying, He has no name, mein Herr Batman. His identity and memory were lost in the terror bombing years ago. We let him go out and walks alone. He always comes back. We don't know where he goes. And Batman and the Doctor move a little closer. We get a better look at the pathetic old figure sat next to his bed, and he appears to be clutching some kind of statue. The Cape Crusader says, Blazes, that thing. Where did I see it before? I remember. It's a replica of the sculpture in Peter Voss's office. Bum, bum, bum. A caption runs out, page 13, reading, Has the Batman found a new interest in art? Or something that will bust the mystery wide open in part three, coming up next? Pass an advert for some free patches. That sounds good. <laughs> we arrive at the top of page 14. A caption that reads, Part, part 3. Witness, witness for a, for dead, a dead man. man. Awesome. Imagine that meant dead man turned up. That'd be great, wouldn't it? If you walked up <laughs> in the last six pages, that'd be outstanding. <laughs> wow. So, the caption for panel 1 of page 14 reads, Thousands of miles away, a man's life's blood runs out and attracts a four-footed killer, a wildcat... Stalking Wildcat. Yeah, we see our Wildcat face down in the grass, stretched out, and a golden feline figure slinking down off a tree towards him. Capture for panel two. It has been a bad week's hunting for the big cat, and now its ferocious hunger is about to be appeased. The cat leaps towards the unconscious superhero, but in panel three there is a sound effect, and it's struck by an arrow, pulling it up short. Oh no! Too many dead animals, man. I'm not into it. <laughs> And we see in panel four an elderly man dressed like a, an, almost like a tattered Robin Hood costume by the looks of things. It was him who fired the arrow. The wildcat seems to be dead in the background. An elderly man is kneeling down, touching wildcat to see how he's doing. The old man is thinking, This one don't look like them dudes from the lodge. Just some flesh wounds. My herbs and roots will have him hardy in no time. Gosh, now... A slow dissolve, listeners, probably the slowest dissolve we've ever had. For the caption to the next panel reads, Three days later, Ted's got his bike back and he's roaring off, waving back to his saviour, saying, So long, pal, and thanks. As he rides off, the wildcat is thinking, Got to get back. Maybe with what I know about Raydeck's death, we'll be able to hang Sanford and his whole crew. Soon? Yep, we see... Ted, back in civvies, opening the door of Sanford's office. Sanford, still with a cigar in his gob and holding a newspaper, says, Champ, glad you're back. The Voss trial starts tomorrow and the company needs your heavyweight image in court. And Ted Cat is thinking, The cold-blooded criminal doesn't know I'm really working for the other side. As Wildcat. But what's happened to Batman? The question we're all wondering as we arrive at the top of page 15. The following day... Yes, we see Peter Voss standing up in court. You can see Sanford and Ted Grant sat to his left. Grey-haired judge sitting pointing in the direction of Voss, saying, Mr. Peter Voss, you have offered no proof of your dead father having prior patent claim on Miracle 2000, nor do you offer proof that its formula was stolen from you. I have no alternative but to decree the sole rights rest with... And as, he's, as the judge is going on, we get a shot of Ted Grant thinking, Blast! Batman's still missing and Voss has lost his case. 
As the judge is rambling on, he's interrupted by a familiar voice. One moment, Your Honour. And we see in panel three that Batman has arrived on the scene, bringing with him the elderly man who he met in Holland. Bat says, I present to the court this eyewitness to the formula's original discovery, Hans Voss. Peter Voss, he's stunned. He turns and says, My God! Father! Alive! I, I can't believe it! Batman says, Sorry, but he probably won't recognize you right away. His mind's been in a fog since the war. Final panel of page 15, we're looking over the judge's shoulder as he says, Do I understand that this witness has lost his memory and cannot testify properly? Yes, Your Honor, but I can prove that he did indeed invent the formula and that it was stolen by an industrial spy hired by B.B. Sanford, president of Triton Corporation. And Bats points towards Stanford who gets to his feet and shakes his fist, saying, that, That's a lie! A lie without a shred of proof! Batman moves to stand in front of the judge at this point and holds something in his hands, saying, Your Honor, I now present proof of these charges. Thirty years ago, when he discovered the formula, Hans Voss could have written it down in the usual way, but he feared its theft. Or he could have made an atomic model such as this one of another compound. But that, too, could have easily been deciphered and stolen. Yes, we see Batman is holding um, what's obviously, you know, a kind of little, like you see in any kind of science lab at school, <laughs> a little molecular model. But then he points to something else. Instead, he created a disguised atomic model of Miracle 2000. This sculpture, ingeniously, the holes and the distances between them represented the relationship between the additive's atoms, just as the rods and balls do on the usual model. In panel 5, Batman shows the judge a photograph, and he continues, For years, the sculpture was in Peter Voss's lab, where this man, L.K. Dowling, alias Radick, a notorious industrial spy, deciphered its secret and stole the formula for Triton Corporation. Oh my goodness, yes, we can see from the photograph that it is indeed Radek. We see the neat hair and the neat moustache. My goodness, didn't see that coming at all. Ted Grant gets to his feet in final panel of page 16, saying, Right on, Batman! And I accuse B.B. Sanford of murdering Radek to silence him, and claiming it was a hunting accident. Wildcat points at Sanford and says, What? How could you know that? Whose side are you on, champ? The judge interrupts all this in the first panel of page 17, saying, Mr. Sanford, your admission is a serious matter. I order you to come forward and explain this to the court. And then from off panel, a voice says, The game's up, B.B. Our perspective shifts in panel two, and we see a familiar bulky figure in a brown overcoat standing in the open doorway of the court, bearing what looks like a machine gun. A voice cries, Manfredi! Everybody stay cool. Okay, boss, I got the car outside. Come on! And they all start legging it in panel three. Ted points and says, Batman, they're getting away! The Dark Knight detective says, Let him go for now, Ted. That chopper could tear this room apart. And as Sanford and everyone run for it, we can see that Manfredi's still covering the room with his gun. The caps for panel four. And after the courtroom door swings shut. Yep, there's a burra burra burra, because Manfredi's taking no prisoners. He fires back into the room. Batman lunges forward saying, Ted, look out. Yep, and shoves Ted out of the way of the bullets. Caption for panel five. And by the time it is safe to emerge, gone. No sign of them. Yep, we see Batman and Wildcat exiting the building, running down a flight of stairs. There's a handy motorcycle on the road in front of them. Ted is saying, I bet they're heading for the planned company plane. Quick, that cycle. Soon. And the final panel of page 17, we're rolling along on a southern motorbike. Batman's cape blowing out behind him. I bet the drag is enormous. We can see the car with the bad guys up ahead. And Ted says, there they are. Let's take them, Ted. But the next instant. Yep, we're at the top of page 18. And we see Manfredi 
hanging at the back of the car. I thought he would have been driving. <laughs> <laughs> Firing the machine gun back at Ted Grant and Batman. Ted says, gotta take a phase of action. And they start trying to weave out the way the bullets. Batman says, no good, Ted. We're going to get burned this way. And then Ted says in the next panel, then we'll go cross country. And with that, Ted steers the bike off the road. They start zooming off through the rocks. The next panel, Batman is saying, This is taking too long. They'll reach the jet before we can intercept. Yeah, we can see them rolling up through the mountains, basically looking down at the private airstrip that Triton has. We can see the airplane in the distance. We see the Triton buildings down below them. Wildcat says, Check, only one thing to try. Cutting through the refinery. And that's what we see them doing in the final panel of page 18. Zooming through the, the buildings, it looks like something from Quatermass 2. Superb. <laughs> Caption for the first panel of page 19 reads, Amidst the jumble and complexity of the refinery, darts the cycle. We can see the car in the distance in the background getting closer to the escape as Batman says, We're still too slow. They're almost at the plane. Then hang on, Batman, because we are taking the air ourselves. And with that, Ted steers his bike up a ramp that takes him up over the roof of a large, round structure, possibly a container, I'm not sure. There's a brim in panel three as it roars off. And the caption for panel four reads... Seconds later... Yes, the bike has come down the other side of the structure and is rowing towards the aeroplane. Sanford and Manfredi are on the ground in front of the aeroplane. Sanford cries... It's them! Manfredi yells... Stand clear! I'll blast them! But the cycle is moving like a bullet itself. And the next instant... It roars past Manfredi, who started firing his gun, and Batman leaps off, punching out the assassin, saying... Somebody's going to be hurt, all right. But it's not us. In the first panel of page 20, Ted gets off the bike and we see Sanford and another man in a suit rushing towards the, the steps leading up to the aeroplane. Ted cries, just a minute, fellow board members. And with a pow, panel two, he knocks out Sanford saying, try this on your corporate image, killer. And there's another guy, he punches in the stomach, making him drop his pistol, saying, that gun ain't gonna do you any good, old buddy. He drops his briefcase. Interesting. Batman Walks over in panel four saying, I see you haven't lost your punch, champ. Ted raises his lucky fist and says, I guess all that public relations handshaking kept the old arm strong. A slow dissolve. Later, we're back in the courthouse. We can see Batman standing next to Ted, the flashbulb going off as Peter Voss gets ready to hug his old man. And the judge with the statue thing in front of him is saying, Gentlemen, the court finds the true rights to the Miracle 2000 formula belong to Hans Voss and his heirs. Peter cries, Father, we've won! Batman says, He seems to understand, Peter, stirred no doubt by the same dim memory which made him create that crude replica of the sculpture and haunt his old lab ruins, luckily for us. To which Peter Voss says, Yes, Batman, and luckily for the entire world, to which Miracle 2000 now belongs. And everyone smiles as we reach a caption that says, The End. Well then, so, first of all, straight away, the cover lied. <laughs> yeah, I wish that that moment had been in the yeah. in the comic somewhere. That would, that's a dynamic, beautiful image. I mean, I suppose the bit when they're on the motorcycle and they're landing at the airstrip, to, that's similar. Yeah, but at, at no point in the story does Batman <laughs> lie in a cobbled street in front of a car and Ted <laughs> zoom in in his Wildcat costume on his Wildcat bike to save him. So, yeah, disappointing. <laughs> it's like whoever did the cover was shown the first page of the story and the last page of the story. And so we, oh, we got somebody laying in front of some cars? Yeah. We got a motorcycle jumping off a thing? Sure. Yeah, I got it. Sure. Yeah. It's interesting because this, this is really endemic. Is that the word? Yeah. Yeah, endemic of the time because I often compare these sort of covers to 
the defenders round about issues 37, 38, 39, where the covers are spectacular and really sell the jeopardy of what's going on. But when you read the actual story, you're like, hang on, this doesn't happen. <laughs> defenders 39, listeners, look up the cover for that. It's my favourite comic cover of all time. No, it's not. I mean, see, the cobbled streets, I thought maybe something might have happened in Holland, but not to worry. That was a lot of fun. Once again, it's another Brave and the Bold story where Batman doesn't really spend any time in Gotham City. Bob Haney don't like Gotham. <laughs> One thing that I liked is Batman and Wildcat have a, have a really good working relationship now because they've worked together a few times in the past. You know, it's, they, they have an easy rapport and they go on very well. Yeah, and they both kind of do their own thing. And it's like Batman trusts Wildcat to be like, you investigate this. I'm, and they don't have to talk about it. They just do it. Yeah. They go off and they, they handle parts of their, the mystery on their own. Yeah, they obviously didn't keep in touch too much because there's a point when Wildcat doesn't know where Batman is and they do go off separately and do their thing. But, you know, I was intrigued at the points, you know, where Ted's basically holed up in this shack in the middle of nowhere for three days while Batman has the time to fly to Holland and, and dig about. You know, it's, <laughs> it's interesting. It's the, the period of time over which the story takes place is, is, is interesting. That's kind of kind of similar to the last time Wildcat was in the, the, the issues as well because, you know, that whole trip in the desert lasted a little while. When you stop and think about the time... Differential. I mean, he delivers the subpoena to them at the start of the story, and the trial is then happening. Uh, like, how how much time passed? Yeah, that's an excellent point. Yeah, because you almost get the sense that it's like it could almost be the next day or something, isn't it? <laughs> Obviously, a little while is, must have passed because they do have a few conversations before we before we get to that point. I really want to praise Jim Apparel's artwork. It sings. Oh, absolutely. I I think his Batman is my favorite Batman. Which is, I know, going to sound like sacrilege to say, but I prefer Jim Aparo's Batman to Neil Adams' Batman. <gasps> no, that's fair. There's just something about it that is so speaks to me on an uh, an emotional level. Maybe speaks to the inner child in me because he was the Batman artist in the '80s sure. for so long, and sure. I just fell in love with his style. And his action scenes in this just are killer. They're so dynamic. Yeah, it pops along. I mean, we rattled through the story fairly quickly. It's, it's an interesting one because it's very dialogue heavy. There's an awful lot of conversations that carry it forward. You know, it's, it's comparatively short an incident, but what incident there is, is, is great. I mean, but it's also, we, we don't get the details of who coloured it, but it's a beautiful looking comic. The skies are always sort of tinted yellow as if the sun's either just coming up or, or just going down. <laughs> Some of it's beautiful. Some of it's a bit muddy because it's not too clear that Mr. Voss Sr. has that statue in his hand when Batman sees him in the the nursing home place but that's kind of offset by all the details and the people in the crowd scenes at the start and the variety of panels i noticed that at least three times conversations would start somewhere and then we'd shift to somewhere else mm -hmm. showing with you know we get a shot of them in the airplane then we get a shot of the airplane from outside we get a shot in the office at the bureau then we get a shot of the bureau outside we get a conversation inside at the triton corporation we get a shot of the building outside that's a that's a narrative trick that i actually i find quite distracting I noticed that in, I was reading in one of the Atlas comics quite recently, it was, it was an issue of The Brute, I believe, and there's a bit there where it cuts to out randomly outside this very ordinary looking square building, which you know by this point is already a courthouse or a hospital, I can't remember what it was, a courthouse or a hospital, and it just, for me, it just kind of killed the momentum. I would prefer it to have a shot of the aeroplane with a conversation happening inside. And then, so in the next episode, we'll be doing another story drawn by Jim Aparo. So we'll have to watch out and see if he does the same thing. But Aparo's art is, is so dynamic. You know, you pointed out that panel, the bottom page 10 of Wildcat and the, yeah. the details of it are just great. Now I'm reading this out of the showcase Brave and the Bold Batman team ups volume three. Yeah. And so when you talk about the coloring, I'm like, oh, well, I got to take your word for that because I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know. But yeah. the black and white line art all by itself is just 
fantastic. Yeah. Do you know, does Apero have an anchor? I mean, it, it's not listed, obviously, at the at the front of this. I don't know. It just lists Bob Haney and, and Jim Apero, and I've noticed in a couple of the Spectre stories that are upcoming. Yes, listeners, the Spectre is coming. There's a credit for art continuity hmm. in at least one issue, and I've seen that in the past refer to uncredited or last-minute background inkers or something, so I don't know. Okay. I'm I'm not sure if he's inking himself at this point. If he is, he's doing a great job. Yes. I mean, it, it's so dynamic and fast-moving. Even the pages with the conversation, where it's quite dialogue-heavy, when it's all conversation, they flow very quickly because he shifts perspective and the point of view. It's almost, it's almost, it's very cinematic. Yeah. He tells the story very well. I mean, the fight scene between Batman and the guards on page eight is tremendous. Yeah. Really fast and really dynamic. It's brilliant. And that, that word cinematic, I think, is exactly spot on because the, the thing that you were being critical of, of like, Let's show them and then show the outside of the building or the outside of the airplane and then cut back to them. Yeah. That just strikes me as a very kind of 70s cinematic technique yes. that he's clearly going for, which I think I, I thought worked very well personally. But um, but I can see why you have that distaste for it. It does make more sense to do establishing shot and then. Yeah, I think because we had so many of those sort of shots one after the other. Yeah. You're kind of going, oh, wait a minute, we're doing this again. Where are we over here? One interesting thing that I liked was the sequence where Ted is chasing the bad guys. It says, hour after hour, the lone cyclist shadows a big car. How long was he following them for? <laughs> How far away is the company hunting lodge? Hour after hour, was it three or four hours? Did they not spot him? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it looks like a big, big, wide, empty road in the middle of the night. They're going to notice a motorbike following them. There's one headlight been following us for the past three hours. Yeah. But, ah, oh, well. Yeah. By the looks of it, it's quite a stylized motorbike. Is that a giant cat face on the front of it? That's the conversation that we don't hear them having. And it's you know it's, it's an interesting story. I wasn't even too upset when Batman explained how the, the formula had been hidden. It felt a bit police procedural in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it could have been an episode of Perry Mason or Starsky and Hutch or the Streets of San Francisco or something. You know, that sort of feel to it. You know, yeah, especially since it ends in the courtroom, it's very Law and Order. And I'll, I'll yeah. since we know that Peter is the uh, the big Law and Order fan, uh, but betwixt <laughs> the two of you, I'll I'll fully take his place and say, oh, it seemed like an episode of Law and Order to me. <laughs> <laughs> I've only ever seen Law and Order when I've been over at my mom's house because when I'm forever shouting at her for flicking between Law and Order or endless quiz shows, they keep saying there's better channels showing old films and stuff. Should be watching them. Ah, uh, she says. <laughs> Listen, my sister and I were trying to convince Alison put into the family group chat today a photograph of someone, not someone she knew, but someone who, a tattoo artist that she knows, who'd done a fantastic Guardians of the Galaxy tattoo on someone's arm. The Guardians are probably, I think, I think along with Doctor Strange and, and Wanda, the Guardians are probably my mum's favourite characters in MCU. My mum has seen every Marvel movie at the cinema since, since the Wolverine listeners, in case you're wondering. And Alice and I might have convinced our mum to get a group tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, because wow. I sort of said, Mum, you could, you, we, should, we should all get a guardian tattoo. Mum, you could get Groot. And Mum was like, no. And I was like, Mum. And Alison was said, yeah, blah, blah, blah. We could do it. You could get, Alison said, I might get Rocket. And I was saying, yeah, I could get Karen Gillan on my leg or something. And Mum went, it would have to be a small one. And we were like, yeah. <gasps> so we might have convinced. So listeners, stay tuned. Watch out for that. Anyway, to get back to the point, I enjoyed this issue very much in a nutshell. It, it was a, a nice fun run around. Some nice jeopardy for Wildcat. I think nowadays this would be decompressed to six issues and we'd get an entire issue of Wildcat training with this elderly archer <laughs> who'd be revealed as 
Oliver Queen from the future. <laughs> We'd get a whole issue of him getting his mojo back after that. I feel sorry for the wildcat who died by Arrow. That was a shame. But it was a fun, you know, a nice sort of, yeah, bit of, you know, not quite industrial espionage, but quite an adult sort of like thriller type story, you know. A bit more grounded than some of the other Brave and the Bold stories that we've done since the last time, you know, Wildcat rocked up. It's certainly more grounded than that one with the Flash that we did. And a little bit more contained than the one with Black Canary. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it too. I think I probably enjoyed it just a tad bit less than you did because I did find a little bit of Haney's dialogue clunky at times. But overall, I think the story does flow really well. And gosh, yeah. the action just is beautiful. So It really is. Yeah, good, good, fun read. Awesome. So listeners, we're now going to move on to the contemporary correspondence. Now at this point, obviously the Brave and Bold Letters page is quite fragmented. It very rarely prints full letters. It just provides little edited highlights. So Steve is now going to read to you the little range of correspondence that appeared in Brave and Bold issue 112. All right. This bit is from the Brave and the Bold bulletin board. Considering how many nasty letters I write you, it feels good when I congratulate ye eds on a job well done, writes Keith Griffin, Mobile, Alabama. Number 110's A Very Special Spy was a really great plot, and certainly the best Batman Wildcat saga. Haney surely outdid himself, and Apero gets no small share of the credit. To put first things last, Cardi's cover got the old style and graphic beauty back. Readers were virtually unanimous in their praise for A Very Special Spy. Listen to Jay Wilson, Phoenix, Arizona. Thank you, thank you, and best of luck. Paul Edwards, New York, labeled it another commendable issue, while Cam Striuski, Farmington, Michigan, thought it was fantastic, especially since Wildcat is one of my favorite superheroes. It was one of the finest brave and bolds yet. From Doug Royalty, Flossmore, Indiana, Superb! Bob turned out a very special script for a very special spy, with reality being the name of the game. He did something here never done before. He gave Ted Grant a real personality. For years, Wildcat had been just a fighting machine, punching his way through criminals, with Grant not doing much but lurking in the shadows. Scott Payton, Ellicott City, Maryland, deemed it a classic suspenseful yarn. And Bart D. Pietro, North Arlington, New Jersey, considered it one of the greatest. Very cool was the way Alan Murphy, Aurora, Illinois, put it. And Joe Peluso, Brooklyn's bombshell of a letter writer, wondered how Brave and the Bold can encompass one classic after another, providing the reader with the highest quality of art and story in each issue. I just finished reading a story with the most interesting plot I ever saw in any medium, a very special spy. What I want to know is, when is Haney going to start writing for Columbo? <laughs> Asked Greg Cohen, Rutgers University, New Brunswick, New Jersey. And the editorial response says, Bob's waiting for Peter Falk to fork up an offer. Bear that in mind, listeners. Bear that in mind, that little reference. That's very interesting. Keep that in your head for future episodes. I'm now going to read listeners from issue 113. There's a little bit more correspondence in there under a little segment labelled Bits from the B&B Mailbag. Looking back at 110's A Very Special Spy, Joe Filks, I think that is from Gilroy, California, claimed Haney really turned on the heat. The pace never let up as Batman and Wildcat romped through 20 pages of starting revelation, suspense and relentless action. What more could we mortals ask? And then Bob Rohde from Oakbrook, Illinois, I guess that's going to be, if it's an I and two L's. Is that right? Yes, it is. <laughs> cool. 
He described A Very Special Spy as a very special story. Apparel once ignored by Batmaniacs and discussing their favourite Batman artists is now shocking everyone as he's become DC's major Batman artist and well-deserved too. Neat! Succinctly summed up Barry Horowitz from Southfield, Michigan and Glenn Leaford from Maidensville, Tennessee opined It was too much! and looks forward to a Batman Wildcat rematch and of course there will be one of them before very long. Steve, one final question before we start wrapping up. Who do you think was the very special spy? <laughs> I, I mean, it has to be Radic, right? I suppose. Because he's the only actual spy in the in the story. Yeah, who has one line of dialogue which amounts to a groan and <laughs> is really seen almost being shot, then driving a car, being shot, and then seen in a photograph presented as evidence. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I'm surprised that no one called that out on the letters page. <laughs> Listeners, who do you think was the very special spy? <laughs> you can write to us at theearth2podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram on The Earth 2 Podcast. On X, formerly known as Twitter, we are podcast underscore Earth 2. I don't think we bothered setting up Blue Sky. I delete the app. Sorry, anyone that's listening. <laughs> um, and that's probably it. If you're feeling generous, you could go to wherever it is you receive your podcasts and leave us a review. If you're feeling even more generous, go to our coffee page and buy Peter the price of a couple of packets of lockets. I'm sure he would appreciate it. Steve, thank you so much for helping us out once again. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm always available anytime you need me. Thank you. But all that being said... Peter, get well soon. Yes. Can't wait to have you back on the show. Very much so. And just be a listener, not a participator. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, are you able to come back next week? Uh, well, okay. I mean, if if you if you need me, I'll, I'm here. Yeah, <laughs> that'll do. Listeners, on that bombshell, I've been David. And I've been Steve. And you've been listening to... The Earth 2 Podcast! Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinate set for Earth Prime. We arrive at the top of page 20. Wildcat. I keep saying Wildcat! <laughs> Peter always used to chide me for um <laughs> calling the superheroes by their first names. And he very, very rightly made the point, no, you know, you need to see the Sabrina because the listener might picture the, them in cities yeah. and it's like, it's a really, really bad habit because for years I always just refer to superheroes by their names and see when we were doing the Spectre stories at first, I was so used to thinking of the Spectre as Big Jim, <laughs> but in the 60s stories, they are so separate as characters. Yeah. I really had to train myself on, you know, it's difficult. Right. Back to page 20. <laughs>